Welcome to All Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair, and me, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker. Our guest today is Nick Conrad. Nick Conrad's poems first began to appear in national and international literary reviews in the late 1970s. More than 125 poems have since appeared in a variety of journals and reviews in the US, the UK, and Ireland, as well as on the web and in various anthologies. Nick lives in Toledo, Ohio. His most recent book is Lake Erie Blues, published by Urban Farmhouse Press. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you. So what is your writing process? Is there a certain place where you prefer to write? Is there a particular time of day? You know, that's a great question. Um, I started out with a, a process where I kept a notebook and I tried to record things as they occurred to me. And uh, then for a period of time, I was writing um, pretty much every day, depending on how my workload was, you know, because, you know, we I wasn't fortunate to be able to make my living writing, so I had to either write in the morning or in the evening. And uh, I think that's that habit is still with me, where I'm working a little bit on something every day. Um, and I've migrated from the notebook, the paper notebook, and the typewriter to the computer, and that's really made it a lot easier to jump in and out of of things that I'm working on. It doesn't mean that I'm writing whole things on a daily basis, but either reviewing work, if I'm not particularly feeling inspired that day and making corrections and editing or uh, trying to capture some some image or some perception that's occurred during during the day. I do a lot of walking lately and that's um, provided some wonderful, uh, you know, things right from, right from nature and from what's going on out in the world, so. And you've been in this game for decades. How would you say that your work as a poet has evolved over time? Um, I think in, in, in some strange way, it, it hasn't changed very much. Um, I think uh, the, the core inspirations for me, which were, you know, the kind of the, the, the early haiku poetry that I got, got uh, inspired by, the Gary Snyder, um, and that kind of Zen outward focus, uh, the Rilke focus a little bit more on the outside and how it, how it blends or kind of can bring, bring out the inside. I think those touchstones have been with me uh, along the way. Um, some of the kind of other readings I've read along the way have, have taken me in the direction of maybe some uh, effort to capture the historical narrative that's going on either in front of me or retrospectively. But in the end, it, it's uh, been a process of trying to connect with uh, both the inside and the outside. And so I don't think that part has changed. Uh, uh, I, I recognize um, that the, in a way, the, um, the academic side of, of, uh, of writing where you know, a lot of writers ha- are able to find a niche in academia, that's been such a blessing for so many people. I think that's been in a way uh, helpful for me in the sense that there are magazines and editors that are supported today by universities. And you know, when I first began writing, a lot of that stuff was done on a shoestring and there was less academic support or, or foundational support. So it, it, you know, that part has gotten more stable in a way 
Um, and uh, I, I don't I don't feel there's been a lot of change in in the in in how I've approached my work. I think my work hopefully has has kept current with um, the demands of the moment, if you will. For example, the the poems on Ava, the the Taser poems, so those were all written kind of just before Trump got in. Uh, the the you know before a bust of Caligula that was written right as he got elected. So you know so some of that stuff's you know uh, it, it all all blends together in the in the uh, in the in the vegematic. So what would you say your inspiration for, or maybe some of the themes you were touching on in Lake Erie Blues was? I think uh, over time I've had a uh, an attempt to capture. Uh, some immediate moment that I'm perceiving that I think is uh, uh, worth capturing to me. And that's the only way I can kind of describe what's resonating and what I'm capturing. It's not an agenda uh, volume. It's not something where I started out with the big concept of writing poems out of the Midwest or, or uh, uh, programmatic work. Hopefully it's not too programmatic, um, but it, it's uh, it does reflect an interest in things that are happening on a contemporary basis, probably a little more than, than maybe some folks, you know, uh, you know, it's not by accident that I've got the poem Thucydides in the, in the book, because that was an early poem, but it kind of reflects my interest in capturing how uh, the events are, are impacting people. And so it's, again, it's that both exterior and interior focus. Um, does that, does that help? Good, yes, it does. You. I'm just curious too. You've been writing a long time. Do you remember what your first published poem was? Oh, sure. That's uh, uh, that was published in 1978 in Greenhouse, a small little journal published by Joyce Pesseroff and Jane Kenyon, and uh, it's uh, they are not thought of now, which is in this volume, I believe. And uh, it's about some hippies in a in a mo- in a mobile home, and I managed to bring in a Pestol who was a Decemberist, uh, and so I linked the you know the collapse of the hippie. Uh, social change time with the failings of the Russian Decemberists. So that was set in 78. And then uh, after that, I was lucky to get picked up by Donald Davey in uh, the Cumberland Poetry Review, a British editor. And so that was in the early 80s. And then I was very lucky. You know, somehow I came in like second or third or run, runner up in a in the Times Literary Supplement Shelligan Poetry Contest. So it was published in the TLS in 86. And so I had a great run from 78 to 86. Man, the world was on fire for me. Yeah. So I was very lucky in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So the poems in this book are very gritty and charming and they address beauty and tragedy and the everyday. They're very local. They're very specific. They're very universal. Um, They're very personal. They're wonderful. How easy or difficult was it for you to find the right voice and tone for the poems in this book? And also, could you comment a bit on how you chose to divide it into the sections you did? Well, um, but that's that's a question about tone and persona, and uh, you know the I, I I'm uh, always been enamored by the modernist. Uh, you know, you we all have to go through that period of time where we look at Pound and and Eliot, and they had that you know Pound had that way of creating irony through which through the character of speaking, and so there's a little bit of that use of persona in my poems where there's a little bit of distance. And they're a little bit chilly sometimes. My poems are, are a little bit cold um, uh, when they're not, you know, you can tell when they're a little more personal, but you can also tell when they're 
a little bit gimlet-eyed in looking at something or someone or some action. Uh, so, so that's a, a common technique I think I use in terms of uh, deciding um, just how gimlet-eyed I want to be. If I, I if I want to identify the the per, the uh, persona, then I you know I I name that that person um, like in Tithonus in Odessa, Texas. Well, okay, I've I've set that up pretty pretty clearly there. Um, the, the segmenting of the of the manuscript, you know, I I had the three long sequences. And I felt they, in a way, were um, kind of related to each other. And, and, uh, and then the beginning section, I felt, uh, had always kind of hung together. Uh, and, uh, and then I felt, you know, okay, how do I transition from um, Cartoon Hour to uh, View from Mars? And so I think the, the poems that were um, kind of art-related, literary-related, that's kind of the literary section, right, where I've kind of paying a little bit of homage to different influences along the way. And also, you know, using those voices, Ovid, uh, who gets exiled because involved, he's involved in a plot um, uh, to the, because we all know, to the Black Sea, uh, all, using those uh, voices as a, or masses, if you will, to talk about some contemporary things. And then, um, uh, you know, variation Slavic, which is toward the end, another long sequence, uh, and then after that, uh, you know, liner notes. So it, I think the, you know, staking out the four sequences, the four big sequences, and then they naturally seem to have um, material that gravitated toward them as supporting. And you managed to connect with uh, the very cool Windsor-based Urban Farmhouse Press uh, yeah. for the publication of this book. So who are you most hoping to reach with this book? Well, um, you know, it's, I've been kind of uh, uh, off on my own writing. And so I, my, I have this kind of imaginary audience, I suppose. Uh, we all have, I suppose, that imaginary audience. I, I, don't, um, I don't think it has a problematic aim of reaching folks who are in a geographic location, but perhaps um, people who feel dislocated in the way that we in the Midwest have been dislocated either economically or culturally. You know, the, the melting pot uh, is still not fully melted <laughs> in, in the, if you take the, put the stake in the ground from Buffalo to Chicago or Buffalo to Minneapolis or whatever, as we've seen last two or three years, the unfinished um, experiment of, of all these different folks coming, looking for something new and trying to build a, a new something isn't quite finished yet. And so that, that sense of being settled, but not settled, located, but dislocated, that's my ideal audience is someone who's had that experience, I, as opposed to someone who's geographically located. You know, I could be describing someone who's, who's um, uh, uh, an immigrant who's come into the West Coast, you know, just as easily with that kind of a, kind of a view. So that's kind of my audience, so located kind of, but dislocated kind of, in my mind anyways. <laughs> So what's your next project? What, what are you uh, working on now? Well, I've got, um, <laughs> I've got a lot of projects, uh, uh, two or three other volumes that I'm looking to get placed. Um, one that I, that I hope, I think may be placed is more of the poems have been written uh, with uh, either English themes or, or, or from time I spent in England. Um, and then uh, several other works that are, um, I think forming up into volume shapes. One is tentatively titled something like Sleep, 
and the other is tentatively titled uh, Message to an Interstellar Pen Pal. <laughs> so those are two that are out there. And then there's a chapbook, um, uh, The Book of Not, K-N-O-T, that I've been working on and trying to polish up. And that continues to be kind of a fun thing. I'm not sure how um, much of an achievement it is in terms of where I'm t- trying to take it, but it's been intriguing and it's keep me occupied anyway. So, so thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. What brought you to Britain? Well, I, uh, uh was fortunate, um, to uh, travel there on, on, for work a fair amount. And, uh, before that, uh, had kind of my, my wife and I had kind of said, we're going to go. And we, we had a couple of nice trips there and we were there. We spent a month, uh, in 05, I think. And so really got, a, got, uh, into the, hedgerows and the, the, the you know the the, the the garys if you know what a gary is in northern scotland uh, so the hedgerows and the garys and, and all that and uh, so that was fun we spent a week on the isle of orkney and a week on the isle of sky and so very interesting places and uh, um, so uh, thank you yeah that's that's kind of what pulled me there was the not so much the i mean london's a great town i love london i mean that's uh, one of my three or four all-time favorite places to visit if I, you know, give me time and, and no quarantine and, you know, I'll be, I'll be traveling. That brings up an interesting question in my mind. You, the, the Lake Erie Blues book, as you mentioned, was kind of about a sense of dislocation, but yes. England seems to have a very strong sense of location. What, what were the different things that you saw in working on the two projects? Well, uh, actually, I think there's a fair amount of dislocation in contemporary, especially, uh, we were just there at uh, before the before, before COVID hit, and the um, the, the same kind of, of uh, turmoil that we've seen here and backlash uh, really kind of is is uh, amplified there, and so the you know it's there's a uh, what and probably this is as a result of the lens that I bring from being partially located and dislocated. I view the that land as being more one of beneath the veneer of hierarchy. Um, a number of not quite located identities there culturally, where you had first the 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 the, the Celts who were replaced by the Anglo Saxons, who were replaced by the and the, you know the Vikings, and then you know Viking history is kind of forgotten. But for two or three hundred years, the Vikings kind of had the run of the place. And then we you know the history books and the you know even the, the local history, the, the you know the national view, kind of leaves those threads behind. Uh, doesn't overly focus on just who were the Normans, which were really kind of a uh, descendants of this guy named Rollo the Viking who had taken over Rouen. And uh, so ultimately it was just an extension of the, of the Viking conquest that, had, that they had rebuffed or just a few centuries before. So I, it, I looked at England more as um, another kind of U.S., where a, a place of England's migration and, and dislocation as opposed to, um, in spite of all their efforts to have a hierarchy that's a little more rigid. Uh, I don't think it's been all that successful. Very interesting perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for asking. Yeah. Would you like to read something for us? Sure. I'll I'll uh, I'll read the the title poem, uh, Lake Erie Blues, which is uh, you know a little more of a personal uh, focus there. Um, Lake Erie Blues. For three years now, orphaned on the ever-shrinking shore of a lake that, with each second, quietly sweeps away the very sand we stand on. 
It is too late to sever the roots put down here to flee the once far off waves that grow nearer and nearer. Gone the once distant figures that dotted the horizon, arms flailing like so many ruined windmills. Horizon now foreground with trunks and legs now too rooted to turn and flee. Each hopes the other dies first, that what is now is all that will be. Yet even as bits of shore slip under, even as the wave roar creeps closer, the view suddenly expands to reveal that some of those swept away have reemerged in some state of flotation that reveals not a conquest of the waves, but rather how buoyancy only comes with acquiescence to that current just beneath the waves that pulls all toward the lake's terminus, toward that growing growl of roaring water, just past ever more turbulent eddies and gaping whirlpools, to that final quickened inch of foam and fury, to that descent that is the falls. I think I'll read, uh, you know, the something with a little more uh, a, a similar vein of a, of a local kind of a flavor to a Bob Seeger Redux. Um, they barely noticed that she had slipped out of the skybox, that something had seized her. She ducked into a loge down the way and began dancing in a darkened corner where no one could see her face. The hostess giving way to the woman, the woman to her recollection of her date one night years ago, how those songs moved her to a rhythm that was more than music, her hips moving in memory, in time to a memory which she was not yet ready to forget. And then uh, Tithonus in Odessa. By the way, that's where uh, uh, Ken Starr was born, I believe, you know, of that whole other thing. Anyways, something that like the trumpet sun shot gold the night, something that like the wind left the leaves quaking, something that like a cicada that wakes to its own song. And then the arsonists hide the matches, dampen the straw, throw out the gas. The lunatic is near, that spark mad zealot, flame nurse, fire's most faithful servant, bringer of the inferno, the conflagration's biggest fan. Ring the alarm, bring the trucks, roll out the hoses, turn on the hydrants, the blaze leaps from roof to roof. Don't stare for fear of going blind. Feel the heat. Don't touch. Don't stand too near. After, tell no one of the encounter. Avoid mirrors. Realize just who is glowing. The mill. It was some pre-war wreck. Still sputtering along, shattering blades, busting dyes, splashing oil as it spit out metal flakes that clogged its pump and nearly made it overheat. The pay was for piecework. What could I do but praise its age? Think it good, loud enough to hear me? Something changed. Afterwards, it cut the steel bar on time every two minutes. And then uh, we talked about uh, the poem that first appeared in Greenhouse, so I'll read that. Um, again, Pestle that it refers to as a Russian revolutionary and uh, considered to be a Decemberist leader, but he was captured the day before the Decemberist revolt and executed shortly thereafter. Uh, but this is set in the 70s. In a trailer or cinder blockhouse left empty by some miner going north, lacking still the usual assets, late at night, as they talk with friends, Pestle miraculously appears. In the beds in the corner, the children lie listening to the talk and fall asleep to dreams of revolution. The tale of our leaving. So part of my family is from Eastern Europe. So that's what this is kind of relating to. 
serfs who got out looking for something other than serfdom. <laughs> when I talk, my hands move, my arms flail, my neck twists and cranes, my head tilts madly side to side, a great amusement for my hosts. Each gesture foreign to them and out of place, like some descendant of the survivors of a great shipwreck. I know only the small suburban archipelago that the ship that carried them was called the Kroonland, that they traveled steerage in the boat's dank hold, and that when I opened the one old chest they brought with them, only I can hear the sea's roar. Nick Conrad, thank you so much for being with us. What lovely gifts of poetry you have brought today. And thank you thank for you. this wonderful conversation. The book, everyone, is Lake Erie Blues, published by Urban Farmhouse Press. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.